This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael. All right, Growing Up Rock listeners, I had the opportunity to bring you guys a little bonus content this week. You guys know that Hollywood and I have been doing this whole series centered around 2019 Monsters of Rock Cruise. So I want to seek out one or more of the artists that are playing on the cruise before the cruise and talk to them a little bit about their history and talk to them a little bit about the upcoming cruise. So today I am bringing you a conversation I had with King's ex-guitarist Ty Tabor. We get into the band's history a little bit, uh, some of his personal grown-up rock story, We talk about his studio. We talk about how the band goes about writing new material, how the band goes about preparing for upcoming uh, gigs, etc. So we have a good conversation. You know, King's X is a band that I have a lot of admiration for. I've loved this band for a long time. They've been around since the mid-80s. Seems like a really appropriate time to play one of my favorite tunes. This one comes off of 1996's Ear Candy. It's one of their lesser known kind of under the radar records. I love this record though. This record has a lot of good tunes on it. Check out this lead off track called The Train. So that was the train off of Ear Candy. Fantastic record. Other great tunes on that record. Run. Uh, love the ballad pitcher on that record. Also love Mississippi Moon. So if you get an opportunity, go purchase that record. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. 
if you're not a Kings X fan, you really need to spend a little bit more time with their catalog. There's some really, really great stuff on it. And I find that a lot of people, they either love this band or they don't care for this band. I personally love this band. My co-host, Sonny, he can't quite get into it. And I don't know what it is because the band has pretty much everything, all the qualities that somebody like my co-host would love. They have melody, they have heavy guitar, they have huge harmonies, but there's just something that he can't attach on to. I don't know, but for me, I love this band. I have a connection to this band. So when they put out the record Dogman, they did a tour. A band that I was tour managing at the time called Mother's Day Out had the opportunity to spend a month on the road with King's X and open up for them. So we did that. A couple of moments that stick out in my mind for that particular tour was sold out uh, Roseland Ballroom in New York City. It was the first really big show that the band got to play. And when I talk about the band, the band that I was on the road with uh, Mother's Day Out got to play. I think it was sold out somewhere around 2,500 if I'm not mistaken. I may be wrong, but I think that's what that place holds. That was a fantastic show. We helped Ty celebrate his birthday on stage one night by hitting him in the face with a, a cake, I think. <laughs> and um, other things that stick out in the mind, they punked us at the end of the tour uh, with oil all over the drummer's snare drum, did some of the normal pranks. Overall, the band was great to us. The crew was great to us. And it, it was just a very positive experience for me and for the band that I was with at the time, opening up for King's X. But I loved them even going back to the early days. Uh, one of the highlights on this tour was that I got to see them play this song every night from Gretchen Goes to Nebraska. Here's a song called The Mission.
So that's just a little taste of what King's X is about. I urge you guys to go out there and check out some of their catalog. It's fantastic. If you're a fan of huge, heavy guitars, big melodies, big harmonies, you can't go wrong with King's X. They're amazing musicians to boot on top of all that. Find two or three albums, check them out, spend some time with them. You'll grow to love them just as I have. I'm looking forward to seeing them not only Sunday night, but I'm looking forward to seeing them on the upcoming Monsters of Rock cruise. If you're cruising with us on the Monsters of Rock cruise this year, do not miss King's X if you're not familiar with them make sure you check out one of the two shows that they'll be playing on that cruise. We'll give you guys all the report when Sonny and I close out this Monsters of Rock cruise with a finale, which will be our recap from the cruise. So make sure you check it out. If you've missed some of the first parts to this uh, series, go check them out at growinguprock.com. See ya. Hey, this is Ty Tabor from King's X. You're listening to the Growing Up Rock podcast with Steve and Sonny. Turn that up. Standing on the train track. Hey, Ty Tabor, welcome to the show. How are you today, brother? I'm doing great. Thank you. Awesome. So we like to start things off around here with the earliest influences. And so some of your early influences were Alice Cooper, The Beatles, and Kiss. Do you happen to remember what the first album was you ever were either given or bought with your own money? Uh, first album I was given was The Beatles. Uh, it was Chipmunks Do The Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> Were you playing guitar at the time, or you were still in in the learning phase? Oh, I was definitely learning because I was very young. Yeah, um, I mean, I started picking around on guitar when I was—I don't really remember exactly what age. It was very young because I have tapes of me playing guitar where I obviously know a whole lot of chords and songs and things when I'm eight years old. So by then, I was already playing a lot. So you know, that album I was probably—I don't know, maybe four five years old maybe now how did uh the guitar come to you i mean how did you decide hey i'm gonna play guitar and and were your parents supportive how did that all come about my parents are very supportive and my dad used to play guitar to me and he actually taught me how to sing harmonies when i was a little kid and um and so i would sing along with him he would play and i would watch his fingers and then he would go to work i would try to figure out what he was doing and try to learn so my parents were very supportive. At the same time, I fell in love with the Beatles when I was a very young child. First song that I heard was I Want to Hold Your Hand. And I was freaked out from then on about the Beatles. I just, all I wanted to hear was Beatle music. And that's what I wanted to do. So I think as far as deciding to play guitar, it happened so early that I don't consciously remember. I do know that I'm very lucky that it happened at all because uh, the first time that my parents gave me a guitar, I think I was probably three or four, maybe, and they gave me a little plastic guitar. And the first thing I did was pluck on it and get mad at how it sounded. And I took it into the living room, put it in the middle of the floor and to my brother's horror, who was sitting there also watching me do this. I put it on the floor and I stomped up and down on it and busted it into pieces. <laughs> And um, so it's I'm lucky that my parents ever gave me another guitar or ever supported me again with a guitar uh, because of my little tantrum. But lucky for me, they realized that I knew it didn't sound right and that I knew it wasn't a really a guitar and that I wanted a real guitar, not a toy. And so they then got me a cheap but real guitar. And that's where it all started. 
And so it kind of came to you naturally because you're kind of a, I mean, you're somebody I would refer to as literally a triple threat. So you're an amazing guitar player. You're an amazing songwriter, but you're an amazing singer on top of all this stuff, which to me, I mean, that's really rare. You can always find somebody that can learn to play guitar and practice, practice, practice till they become amazing. But you can't just teach somebody to be a good singer. I mean, I think you can either sing or you can't sing. So you cover all those bases. Was the singing something that kind of came naturally to you? Or was it something that you had to work at the same as a guitar? Um, I have to work at it more than guitar because I don't really personally think of myself as a good singer. I think of myself as someone who sings on solo albums just because I wrote all the stuff and I'm doing it all by myself anyway. So, you know, somebody's got to sing. But I don't really think, I, I don't really enjoy singing a whole lot, to be honest. It, okay. Singing is more work to me than guitar playing. Guitar playing is more enjoyable. And I can really get deeper into my soul with what I'm doing on guitar. Uh, with singing, I'm kind of stuck with the voice I have and it won't do all the things I want it to do. You know, so I have to just go with what my vocal can do. And I'm, I'm not usually very happy with that. So I, I appreciate it that you think I sing. Okay. Uh, I don't really consider myself a singer and it's a lot harder. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you mention it like that, because one of the things that I think that happens with either King's X music or Ty Tabor music is that the way that the music is written sort of goes hand in hand with the vocal melody lines, if that makes sense. Am I, am I explaining that correctly? Like it kind of flows to fit your voice. And is that something that is done consciously or is that just my imagination? No, I mean, that's basically, that's just me doing, uh, staying within my abilities on vocals. Basically, I try to make melodies that are good enough to be better than my voice. If that makes sense. I want the melody to be the most important thing and how it fits with the music. And then somebody might be able to tolerate my voice. (laughs) Well, I think it's got a lush feeling to it. I like it personally. I think it uh, flows really well. And so it's good on you for uh, making it work that way. Well, thanks. What was your gateway into rock and roll? Was it it really the Beatles? Was it Alice Cooper that kind of, Alice Cooper or Kiss that maybe took a turn to maybe the heavier stuff a little bit? No, I mean, the Beatles were, the Beatles were, there are no other influences that even compare to the Beatles for me. As much as Alice Cooper, the original band in the early 70s were a big influence on me. Kiss in the early and mid 70s were a huge influence, but uh, nobody even comes close to how much of an influence the Beatles were and are to me. The Beatles did some of the heaviest stuff I've ever heard. Heavy doesn't mean heavy distortion. The Beatles could do heavy mm-hmm. with no distortion, like on Come Together. That's brutally heavy, you know. They had their own heaviness, you know, and then on at other times they would crank up the distortion, yep. you know, and let it just scream. You know, Helter Skelter was pretty nuts. Revolution, of course. First time I heard that, I, I just thought it was the coolest guitars I'd ever heard. Yeah, but it's it's all the Beatles for me. I mean, I fell so in love with their music and how it sounded and how their voices sounded that it's the only thing I wanted to do from then on. So I mean, I don't even have a memory of that not being my goal because that happened so young. I've just always had this path in front of me that I was going to go down. Period. You know, it, it was decided. I just had to get my butt in gear and learn how to play, you know, Yeah. try to be good, try to be better than what I was hearing other people do was my goal. Because unless you do something that's your own, uh, there's really no reason for it. And unless it's good, there's no reason for it. So those are the things I really honed in on. I I just wanted to be good and I wanted to write music that makes people want to hum and sing along with it. And, uh, 
that, that's still what I want to do. I mean, I'm still doing exactly what I've always done since I was a kid. It's just, I'm still on that exact same road and still trying to always learn and, and be better. Yeah, so it all started and stopped with the Beatles, it sounds like. That's what you worked on. With a band like King's X that's been around for 30-plus years now at this point, with a growing list of material, does it get difficult for you guys to kind of select a playlist, a select a set list, rather, when you guys uh, get ready to go out and do you know, a run of dates? I won't necessarily call it a tour because you guys – you're about to do like four dates before this Monsters of Rock cruise, but then, you know, you do spatterings here and there. That's kind of the only way we tour anymore. The most we'll ever do is two weeks. And the reason we do it that way is it's actually better for us to do it that way. That way you can just play weekends Mm -hmm. in major markets so that all the shows you play are, are big shows and you never have to do a Monday night in some small town somewhere, you know what I mean? Losing money. Right. Uh, just because you're you're out there trying to survive. We would rather just every show be a big show. And so that's all we do. We'll fly out, do three major shows, three or four, and uh, fly back home. And then take a couple, three weeks off, go do it again. You know, just over and over and over. That's, that's basically what we do. Do you fly out, meet a bus, and the bus does three or four dates, and then you fly home? Or is that how it's working these days? Uh, we don't do the bus unless we're doing more than three or four shows. If we're doing a couple of weeks or more, we grab a bus. But okay. uh, when we fly normally, we rent some large vans, and uh, we have someone who drives us you know, to each show, and we stay in really nice hotels, which we get a lot better rest than being on the bus. Mm-hmm. So it just works out better for us in every way to do the fly-in. Sure. I don't personally like doing tour buses at all. They they uh, wear you out. They're, they're not fun at all. They're, they're very much not fun. So this way, we at least get some privacy away from each other at night and can get some good rest. Yeah. You know, it's not 10 people in one small area. Sure. And the set list? Oh, and as far as the set list, we it's not very difficult to come up with because there's a whole lot of our catalog that we simply can't sing anymore because we've gotten so much older and a lot of that stuff was really way up there high as far as uh, the notes we had to hit. Uh, like the song It's Love has this, you know, ah section in the middle. At uh-huh. first, and I hit the high note uh-huh. and it is, I just simply couldn't possibly do that anymore. You know, at 57. So that song is immediately off the list. And so that's how songs get off the list. So the things we have to choose from it's really a smaller amount of our catalog, the stuff that we can still sing. So, no, it's not too difficult. What's difficult is finding things that we can change in the set and still be able to sing it. Wow. Well, that's a pretty refreshing answer because, I mean, listen, that's a normal answer. As you get older, you just can't do things. And so it's kind of expected as far as I see. But most of the time, people won't come right out and say that. You know, they'll be like, well, we do this or we do that. You came out and said, look, there are certain things in our set or on our albums that we're just not ever going to do. And so, (laughs) you know, that's okay. Fair enough. (laughs) We're going to write new music and make new album uh, that has things that we can sing. Right. You know, so that we can keep it up. But, uh, but yeah, there's, there aren't very many people that are like, like Doug is 68. Wow. There aren't a lot of 68-year-olds that can sing like they could when they were 29. You no. Know? You know, even Paul Rogers, who can do most of what he did when he was younger, even he still can't do it all. Yeah. But he still sounds great. And as long as he stays within his range that he's good in, he's still powerful as ever and killer. So that's that's the thing we realize. We just have to stay within our abilities and uh, do those things wide open play to your strengths mm-hmm. yeah uh well so you bought it up and, and i'll ask is there new material being written any talks of a new record uh yeah we're actually going in the studio in late april to do our next album first album in over 10 years yeah it's been a while i i know there was a live yeah. record not too long ago or it's probably been a while at this point but uh, I have no concept of time. <laughs> it all seems like uh, yesterday, but it ends up being two or three years. So, um, well, that's awesome. We did a live DVD, but it was 
that's probably close to about eight years ago now. <laughs> like I said, I got no concept of time. <laughs> Does everything get recorded at Alien Bean, do you, or do you guys go to different studios and work? Uh, no, we're going to go to L.A. Uh, okay. to a specific studio we want to work in with, with a person we want to work with, and uh, a guy named Michael Parnon. Uh, it's really great engineer, really good ears, good positive front person to work with. And so we're going to go out there and just live, you know, for about six weeks and see, you know, see what we can get done. We may do some things at home. For instance, I may do some leads at home or something, or if we decide to change some of the backing vocals or something, we can do those things at home. But we're going to attempt to get as much of it done, if not all of it, while we're in L.A. and all are there. Now, what's the writing process uh, like for you guys? Do you guys just write separately and bring it all together? Or do you send, you know, uh, tracks back and forth? How does that work these days for you guys? We basically all write our own things and bring them in okay. um, as far as songs that are brought in ahead of time. But we also prefer and like to write together when we're together. Okay. So, I mean, we, we may have... 50 songs we bring in and we may write 10 new ones in the studio. That's the thing. We don't, we don't plan that. You know, what happens is what happens. It just falls into place, you know? Yeah. I saw something on your EPK that said that you, you know, you're kind of always constantly writing and I don't know whether you hum melodies in, uh, in, into your iPhone or, <laughs> you know, how does that, how does that work for you? I actually uh, have an amp set up in here in my office at home and my iPhone, and uh, I even have Siri set up to where if I simply say record, it just starts going, and uh, I'll just lay the phone by the amp, hum and play a part, and then turn it off. I've got about 40 new ideas right now on the phone that I'm working on, yeah. and I'm going to come up with as many as I can between now and April. That's awesome. When you guys get ready to go do dates, do you guys, I mean, at this point, do you guys even rehearse any at all? Or do you just go, okay, well, here's the set list we're going to agree upon. And if you need to brush up some songs, you just brush them up on your own. But um, yeah, I mean, that's what we do. But I, but we do, I mean, I rehearse, I'll be rehearsing and playing every night this week as if it's a show just to be ready for the shows this weekend. But on your own or with the band? No, on our own. But what I'll do is I'll pull up live videos okay. and play with the band. So I am playing live with the band. And so that's how I rehearse. Okay. And uh, Doug, Doug and Jerry have their own ways of doing it. I know Doug likes to just sit around his little JBL flip and uh, stand there and jam it really loud and play along and sing. And uh, he does the same thing, pulling up live songs and stuff. When we pull up the live stuff, then it is just like the guys are in the room with me playing when I rehearse. Yeah. Now let me ask you this, this, uh, run You're about to do four dates. I think, uh, this weekend, I know I'll be present at one of them. Is this the set list that you're prepping for the monsters of rock cruise or will that totally be something different? It'll probably be a little different just because, uh, usually the cruise shows are only an hour Okay. and everything we do live normally is an hour and a half. So we'll be, confining it to the strongest material we have, I guess. Yeah. Now you do two shows on a cruise or you do plan on doing an electric and an acoustic or something like that. No, we're going to do two full blown shows. We don't really like doing the acoustic thing unless it serves some really important purpose. Like a radio station will play our music. If we'll come do an acoustic thing, we'll do it for things like that. But uh, the truth is we really don't like playing acoustic. We're a heavy band. We like it loud, you know? Yeah. Now, if memory serves me correctly, and maybe you remember this, I, I have to search my memory and maybe I'm getting it wrong, but I know there was a period of time a while back where something happened with the power at what was the Roxy Theater in Atlanta, because I live here in Atlanta. And something happened, and you guys, I think, were forced into basically performing acoustically. Do you remember anything like that? I do remember it, because uh, the reason we were forced acoustically is that all of Doug's amps blew up, including backups, and there wasn't anything else to do. It was either, there's no show, or we have to play acoustics. Wow. And uh, so that it was that show that started 
the whole thing of every night we let the whole audience sing Goldilocks. It was that night in Atlanta that started that because the whole crowd sang everything so loud, all the harmonies and everything, that it just completely blew us away. We we never in a million years expected uh, the response that night that we got. It was incredible. So um, still to this day, when we play Goldilocks, we just turn the mics to the audience and don't even attempt to sing it. Yeah. And everybody sings at the top of their lungs. And it's amazing. How cool is that? I, you know, I thought I'd remembered something like that. I didn't, obviously I wasn't at that show. I think I was on the road at that point in time, but I remember hearing a lot about that from my, you know, from a lot of my friends here in town. So, uh, very, very cool. It was incredible. It turned into one of the most memorable shows in the history of the band. That's awesome. So I noticed that King's X and Oral History, which was a book, I guess, that was written by somebody who, in partnership with the three of you, is that correct? That's written by Greg Prado, who's a, a well-known writer. He's got several books. He's written for, you know, Billboard and, and whoever. He, he, he's just a, a prominent writer who is a King's X fan. And so he contacted us a while back and just said, you know, the real story needs to be told. Are you guys interested in really delving into this? And we'll get a book deal and put it out, you know, legit. And we all agreed to do this with him. And so he's he picked our brain for a good year. I mean, I, we did loads and loads and loads of interviews about every single thing you could think about yeah. in the, our career. So he got all this material, not, not to mention speaking to 20 or 30 other very famous people in the industry that are huge King's X fans that are a part of the book also. And so he, he wrote it and, um, it's actually not even out yet. It comes out February 19th and, um, we're excited about it because they're doing pre-orders on Amazon already. But I read the book, you know, the full book here yeah. recently. And it's, it's a heck of a story when you just read it as a book. It's weird to, recount so many things all at once it, mm -hmm. it really has been a massive story that this band has had that's for sure yeah going on 30 plus years that's a while yeah <laughs> we're actually doing bigger shows right now than we have since our heyday we uh this whole last two to three years we've done mostly all sellouts in premier places and theaters uh, so it's it's going very very well for the band right now which is the reason we decided we, we probably ought to do another album, you know, because things are really happening again. And, and so it's just, just time to strike, you know? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's amazing. And that is, you know, that's a story with a, a lot of bands from that era, from the eighties. When I talk about the era, I'm talking about the eighties. There's a lot of bands yeah. that seem to be doing you know, even better now than they were then, which is, that's awesome. That's right. You know, because the goal of this podcast has always been to raise the flag for bands that we didn't feel like get enough credit back then. And we, you know, we don't think radio is doing anybody any favors, XM or otherwise. We just don't think anybody's doing anybody favors. I think that people need to be aware of not just its love, but the host of other fantastic material on King's X records. So, you know, that's important to us. What recollections do you have from the, from the Woodstock two festival? Do you have anything that you can recall from that, that weekend? Well, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, I know it was a pretty successful show for you guys and you guys were kind of prominent in a lot of the news that came out of that uh, weekend. And so I, I just wondered if there was anything that kind of stuck out in your mind um, with that particular weekend. Well, the enormity of everything from the crowd to the backstage area to whatever it's, they literally constructed an entire city in the back area behind the massive mega stages. Mm -hmm. And the only way to get around was with golf carts, uh, because it was so big. I mean, it's huge. Uh, it's literally a city, right? Just, you know, I don't know how many people back there or how many buildings and whatever, but it was just 
massive, massive, massive undertaking. The the whole everything they had back there, you know, all of these different trailers for all you know what hundred bands. Who knows how many came in and out for that? But I mean, the coordination of that alone is so massive, and none of the crowd got to see any of that. That's one of the things I remember that was most astounding. Just how ridiculously over the top huge the entire operation was. And then, you know, we step out on stage to play and it's, you know, Friday night, uh, right as the sun's going down. So it's like prime time and the place is packed. I mean, just literally a sea of human beings as far as you could see. Uh, they told us somewhere around 350,000 people. I've just personally never seen that many people all at once. So, just everything about it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, if you, talk, I mean, I can talk about the performance or the fact that the stage was probably a hundred feet from the first person because of all the different tracks for, you know, cameras and people and crew running around. Right. So that you were so far from the people that you got absolutely no energy from them whatsoever, even though you could see 350,000 people. Right. But they're so far from the stage. It just felt like you were alone. Just every single thing about it was over the top big yeah. in that way. Just mega, mega, mega big. Biggest sound system and stage I've ever seen in my life. Just ridiculous. And we play a lot of big festivals. I mean, we play a lot of huge festivals over in Europe. I mean, ones with over 100,000 people plus every time. But this was a, an entirely different level of huge. That's what I remember. Was it the biggest show that you guys have played to date? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We've never been in front of more than 350,000 people. Uh, we've done a lot of shows in front of 100,000 or so. Yep. But 350 was just <laughs> a different world. Could you hear your amps at all? <laughs> oh, we could hear everything so loud it felt like we were destroying humanity. <laughs> it was ridiculously, hugely loud. So much PA. That's fantastic. So are there any surprises for the Monsters of Rock cruise? Would we maybe see Ty uh, showing up uh, on stage with uh, some other artists at some point? Uh, you never know. You never know. We know almost everybody in every band on the on the cruise. No matter what cruise we do, we always know everybody. Yeah. So a lot of that kind of stuff can happen, yeah. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't rule it out. <laughs> Yeah, right on. What's been beneficial for you from a standpoint of doing these these cruises? Because there seems like to be more and more of these cruises popping up all over the place. And this is going to be my first cruise, which I'm really looking forward to. So what's been so beneficial for the bands for these types of cruises? Well, first of all, the, just getting to be on a cruise is a pretty amazing plus. Uh, and all you got to do is play a couple of shows and the rest of the time you're just on a cruise. So uh, it's like we're getting paid to take a vacation. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's just a wonderful time because we get to bring our, our ladies with us, you know, our family or whatever, and, and literally, you know, have a vacation, spend time hanging with people, uh, you know, rehanging with friends and other bands we haven't seen in a while. It's just always a very positive, just a really positive thing. And you end up re, uh, connecting with a lot of different people in the industry, and that's always good, you know. Right. Just to have uh, your, you know, other things and options out there in case somebody wants to do something. We all have time off, you know, every now and then to do side projects. So a lot of times you run into people, and those things will start there because you just all happen to be in the same place. Yeah. And uh, talking about it. what's cool is you have all these private areas. Uh, you know, like the band will have private restaurants and stuff where all you know just the performers go. So that way you can hang out with them and talk business or, or just hang out, you know, cause you're friends, you know, or whatever. But that's my favorite part of it all is just hanging with all the old friends and other bands and stuff and being on vacation. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like you get to connect with the fans? It's somewhat. I find on the cruises that the fans somewhat leave me alone. Cause I, I, I'm out there among them a lot. I, I go, you know, I go eat to some, in some of the public areas. I go eat breakfast all the time. In this big, you know, there's usually a big breakfast cafeteria. Right. I can't remember the last time somebody even came up to me and said, "Hey, man, you know, nice to meet you." People just pretty much leave me alone. 
So most of the hanging out I do is with other band members. Well, I think judging from what I've read, I think that the fans like to be somewhat respectful because they know that there's a lot of the uh, musicians and artists that are walking around and uh, I don't think anybody really wants to be that guy, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a really cool situation because we can go watch all these other bands and uh, we can't do that in normal life in right. you know, regular places. Last time me or Doug tried to watch a band uh, was just only a few weeks ago and it was uh, just completely impossible. You know, people just will not let us. Yeah. So, um, but on these cruises we can go around band to band and nobody even say a word it's really cool i mean it's not that i don't i mean i totally would hang out with the fans and and, you know i I don't mind it at all if fans come out i mean we're out there in the public area i I expect it yeah so i mean it's not a a matter of uh, not wanting it or anything it's just people are respectful on the cruises and kind of let you do your thing it's pretty cool yeah awesome is there anybody in particular you're looking forward to seeing on this monsters of rock cruise I always like Pat Travers. Uh, just want to, I want to hang with him a bit. I love, I just want to pick his brain some more. I've only hung with him once, but I'm a huge fan. Love, love that dude. That's probably my favorite artist on the whole thing that I'm excited about. He's a little bit, uh, left to center as far as the rest of the artist. You know, he's kind of like a, a odd man out, you know, not the typical, the rest of them all sort of fit into one category. And Pat Travers seems to be in like another category a little bit. So. Yeah. That was sticking out a little bit. Very cool. So Alien Bean, why that? Why that name? Uh, just because it probably was the first thing that came to my mind at the moment that I had to, uh, I had recorded a, an album at home and I was doing the credits and I didn't want to just say recorded at home. Uh, so I named my studio for that reason. And the studio was in my home for a year, few years. But about seven years ago, I moved it out into its own building away from my place. And so uh, now it's, you know, it's its own place. But it was a joke uh, in the same way that Gretchen Ghost in Nebraska was a joke. And Please Come Home, Mr. Bulbous was a joke. I mean, we constantly throw out stupid phrases or things just to fill the gap. You know, we need an album title. We need this or that. Right. The way Gretchen Goes to Nebraska happened, we were actually, this was way before we had a record deal, and we were loading our, our gear off of the truck after a show, and uh, we had made an album back in 1983 that I won't say the name of, uh, that we had just gotten those albums in, and they were horrible as far as the way they sounded and looked. Uh-huh. They were, it was just really bad. So we were kind of embarrassed about it and joking about it and that we can't really sell these albums. So we just started throwing them out at shows to get people on the dance floor. Free album, if you get out on the floor. Right. And uh, and so we just used them for that. We'd be tossing them like Frisbees at gigs. Uh, we were just embarrassed. But while we were unloading the gear and making fun of ourselves and how, how amateur it looked and everything, one of our crew members, a guy named Kevin Morning, he said... Uh, You'd call your, you ought to call your next album Gretchen Goes to Nebraska. And we all died laughing because it sounded like a great title. And we decided right then and there, hey, someday if we ever get a record deal, one of our albums, we're going to call it Gretchen Goes to Nebraska. And so when it came time for our second record, we all looked at each other and said, hey, how about Gretchen Goes to Nebraska? And everybody's like, yeah, let's do it. And so Jerry wrote this whole story on the spot. It uh, really had nothing to do with Gretchen Goes to Nebraska. Uh, but it turned into this whole thing, and then the album turned into a really special album and just became this thing. If it weren't for that album, probably no one would, would know who we were. That's interesting. So ne- so uh, word to the wise, never take yourself too uh, serious in rock and roll, huh? I, there is so much King's X stuff on records that is a joke <laughs> that I couldn't possibly point to all of it. The end of Born to be Loved was completely a joke. All the stops and starts and, and not ending the song when you think it should end. Yeah, uh, me and me and Jerry and Sam Taylor, we three were dying laughing about it and and you know constructing this whole stupidly ridiculous ending. And I think Doug thought we were completely ruining the song. And now it turns out to be you know the absolute highlight of the night when we do that part. And it was completely a, completely a joke. 
Yeah, because I think that part to a lot of musicians is like in amazement how tight you guys can do that part because it's I can't even I can't even air drum that part or air guitar that part because of the timing of it all. I mean, it's it's stupid. It makes it makes somebody feel like they literally have no rhythm <laughs> at all. And what's crazy is it's in 4/4 four, four and to a click track. It's just that we're making hits sometimes not even on the upbeat or downbeat but the beat between them you know the and e uh yeah you know of the beat uh so we're hitting in places that make it seem off time even though we're counting four four in our heads it's crazy yeah that is nuts that's absolutely <laughs> crazy well ty it's been awesome man i appreciate you uh spending a little bit of time with us man i can't wait to see well i'm gonna see you sunday night but then i'm gonna see you on the monsters of rock cruise as well all right cool man looking forward to it i'm gonna get my full fill of king's x <laughs> <laughs> cool all right. Well, and if you see us walking, if you see us walking around, don't you know hesitate to come up and say hey. I will absolutely. Don't hang up, Ty. I'm going to say goodbye to the listeners, and then I want to talk to you for just a split minute. Okay. All right. So that's Ty Tabor from Kings X. We will see him on the Monsters of Rock cruise, and we will see him this Sunday night at 37 Main in Buford, Georgia. So we will give you guys all the report. Until next week. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock.